Well, Vintage Church, how you doing? Y'all doing all right? Come on. Come on. It's good to see you. Man, for those of you who may be visiting with us for the first time or the first time in a while, my name's Stephen, and you're here on a very, very special weekend where we kick off a brand new series where together over the next seven weeks, most of the summer, we're going to be taking a look at the Old Testament character of Joseph and in Genesis, we are also celebrating uh, Memorial Day, uh, and I want to take just a few moments uh, to talk about Memorial Day. I think sometimes uh, these holidays that, that kind of come and go on our calendar over the years, if we're not careful, we can actually ignore their significance. So I want to take just a moment, having uh, been an army wife for 11 years and, and pastored in a, in a town where I've had un, the, unfortunate, uh, the unfortunate privilege to do many funerals of our servicemen and women who have died overseas. I think it's important that we just understand, you know, it always bothers me a little bit when people say happy Memorial Day. It's kind of like Good Friday in a way. It's like, is it a good day? Yeah, it's a good day because we're free. But we're only free because of those who laid down their lives so that we could be. And I think a lot of times, there's a lot of America hating going on in today's culture. And it's really, really ugly, especially when it's in the church. Uh, Here's the reality. There's no such thing as a Christian nation. Okay, but there is a nation of Christians, and ours was built on the foundation of God's Word. And I think it's very, very important that to honor those uh, who have paid the ultimate sacrifice, we acknowledge that. I, I, you know, there's lots of arguments going on about, you know, privilege this and oppression that. And here's what I think. I really believe many of us uh, in the United States today, we have a hard time being thankful for what God's given us simply because we have what I would call historical privilege. It's the privilege of being in a free time, Right? A point in history that, by the way, it's not normal everywhere. What we're experiencing, the freedom that we have in this nation, just go to another nation, right? Just go back in time in history. The default position of the world is not free. The default from from the position of the world is very, very dark. And here's what I want to just say. I think it's so important as we honor those who have literally died so that we could have church, so that we could light up that barbecue, enjoy our families, all of that's built on the foundation of a scriptural understanding. You know, it was Jesus that said, like, there is no greater man than he that laid down his life for his friends. You know, we're literally standing on the graves of those who laid down their life for our country. And I think it's important, just that before we jump into all the celebration, we just take a moment to acknowledge that. And so, if you would, would you allow me to lead us in prayer, and then we'll jump into our series. God, I thank you so much for the gift of your word. I thank you, Father, for this great nation. Father, this side of heaven, no one's perfect. But Lord, when we build our life on the truth of your word, Lord God, it is way better than it is without it. God, I thank you for the men and women who paid the ultimate sacrifice. Their story is done. But Father, their loved ones live on. And right now, Father, as we celebrate, there are many in our community, there are many in our nation and around the world who, theirs is not a celebration today, but an empty seat. Theirs is not an embrace of a friend or a family member, but the vacuum, the emptiness of them not being there. And I just pray, God, that we would be worthy of their sacrifice, that, Lord, we wouldn't take for granted what it is to be free, that, Father, we would take responsibility in our time like they did in theirs, and that, Father, their sacrifice wouldn't be in vain. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Well, I'm super excited to jump in to week one. We're going to be again going through the life of Joseph. I remember when I first uh, gave my life to Christ, I started reading the Bible and I had the unfortunate 
I had the unfortunate thing happen where I ended, in, I ended up in Leviticus. I don't know what it was, but I didn't really know how to, start, how to read the Bible. So I just kind of opened it up, and I was in Leviticus, and it scared me. Have you ever read Leviticus? By the way, I will tell you this. If you're new to reading the Bible, you read the Bible, and you don't understand something, don't assume it's God. Assume it's you because you're not God. Seek to understand. And although I did, over time, begin to understand God's Word, I was so glad that one of the very first stories that I learned as a new believer was the story of Joseph. An absolute incredible story. You know, there's very few people in the Bible where we get to see the beginning of their story and we get to see the end. Usually we just see parts, we see epics, we see chapters, but we don't see all of it. And Joseph, we get to see his life from beginning to end. And it made me think of this proverb, uh, Proverbs 24, 16. It says, though a righteous person falls seven times, their life isn't perfect, stuff happens to them, around them, he will get up, Evan say up, but the wicked will stumble into ruin. Joseph, when you read his story, and we're going to study him intensely over the summer, he is really a man for all seasons. Joseph had this ability to plant his feet in the present while keeping his hope in the future. That's uniquely Christian. Even before Christ, Joseph had the same faith you and I had, right, to go through life but to make sure that our heart wasn't in this world. Here's why I say it this way. He had this uncanny ability to maintain a tough skin, a thick skin, but a soft heart. Throughout his journey, it would have been very, very easy for him to get frustrated, for him to get resentful, for him to demand reparations for his suffering of others, for him to blame his circumstances on those around him, but he did not do it. As a matter of fact, in the Hall of Faith in the New Testament, Joseph makes that list. This is what it says about him in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. By faith, everyone say faith. In other words, the same way you and I know God. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the Exodus, has a prophecy from God of the Exodus of the Israelites, and gave instructions concerning his bones on the surface, you look at that, well, what, is that, what significance does that have? It speaks to his ability to live as an exile in Egypt his entire life almost, since 17, when he, was, when he was sold as a slave, right? He would die there, but he's telling his descendants, do not leave my bones here because although I'm here, I'm 100% present, I do not belong here. I belong with God's people. I belong in the promised land. You know, sometimes as believers, this is just a really hard lesson to learn. Right, Because we live in the already but the not yet. Right, We live with their feet planted in the sinful world dealing with all of this crazy stuff. Although, each one of us, the Bible says, has eternity written on our hearts. For those who believe, our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus who didn't stay in the grave but rose. Right, It's, like, it's the already here but the not yet. It's like the Bible says the Holy Spirit, right, the spirit of adoption makes us alive in Christ. We have this great hope. We know there's more. We know there's better. We read the book and we know that God has a new heaven and a new earth. But what do we do while we're in this old heaven and this old earth? How do we, like Joseph, not allow the world to get so into our heart that it defines our future? It defines our temperament. I never grew tired of Joseph's story. I could read Joseph's story over and over again and see something different from it. He truly was a man for all seasons. He was chosen and rejected. He was loved and hated. He was favored and abused. 
He was promoted and then imprisoned. He was tested and then rewarded. He was slandered and then praised. I started thinking about our walk with God this side of heaven. One of the most important things you can learn as a Christ follower is this truth. You ready? There's no sunshine without the rain. There's no sunshine this side of heaven. There's no perfect situation that if you align everything right, everyone's just going to love you. There were times in Joseph's life where he stood for what was right. And unlike the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he lost friends and influenced people. You know, sometimes that's what God calls us to do. We stand for integrity, for biblical truth. We do it in love. You take God's word so seriously, but yourself not so much. I think that was Joseph's secret. I think he knew God's promise. He put everything in that basket. He loved God. He put everything in his promise, in his word. And when things didn't go the way he thought they should go, he didn't take himself too seriously. He remembered that he was a son. He remembered that God was bigger than any of his circumstances. He remembered that this side of heaven, there is only one enemy, the devil. Maybe a second one, himself. And he constantly overcame the temptation to fall into the world. There are trade-offs this side of heaven. He embodied this New Testament idea spoken of all of those in the hall of faith in Hebrews. This is what it says in Hebrews 11. All these people, all the people we read that did great things in the Bible, including Joseph, they were people still living by faith even when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Have you turned on the news and realized, I don't know that I belong here? People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better, I would say better, for a better country. What's that look like? A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I love the story of Joseph. Adversity didn't harden him. Prosperity didn't ruin him. Temptation didn't destroy him. Imprisonment didn't make him bitter. And promotion didn't change him. He was a great man. I read his story in one paragraph. I want to read it to you. It was just so good. We're introducing this character. If there was ever a time, I know I'm preaching to the choir, right? I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on Memorial Day weekend. You could be at the lake. Come on, somebody. You made church. But if there was ever a reason over the next seven weeks to lean in and to not miss a week, we're going to learn something great from his life. His story in one paragraph, he was a favorite son of his father, Jacob. He enters the stage of biblical history, 17 years old. Because his brothers hated him, he sold him as a slave and take him, took him to Egypt. After being falsely accused of rape, he was in prison with no hope of getting out in the worst of all dungeon, dungeons. Because he correctly interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he became the prime minister of Egypt. Eventually, he welcomed his family to Egypt, the family of Abraham, which would become the great nation of Israel. He preserved the line and the promise given to his great-grandfather Abraham and eventually leading to that stable in Bethlehem. He truly is a great, great man. When you read his story in Genesis, really in all of the Bible, but Genesis specific, he has more, there's, more, there's more space dedicated to his life than even Abraham. You know Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. Like even Joseph has more space than even he does. Why? Because it's not ordinary. We're going to learn throughout this series, not only is he not ordinary, just like you and I are called not to be ordinary, but he's also a type or a picture of Jesus. One of the things I absolutely love to do as a pastor is I love to help you be biblically literate. 
Because if you can understand this word, if you can make it central to your life, it becomes a lamp to your feet. And it doesn't matter how dark the world gets, you can come back to it. You can come back to it. I can just imagine Joseph growing up, hearing the stories of his grandfather, his great-grandfather, his grandfather, his father, telling these stories about this promise, about these miraculous things that God did, about how he opened up opportunities and how he favored his family. We do the same thing. We open up God's word. Joseph's story is really the hinge between the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus. I have a biblical timeline. It's a little bit nerdy, but I want to talk about it for just a minute. Because in the timeline, in the timeline, we see four big events. You see creation, Genesis 1-1. You see the fall, Genesis 3. From the fall, we have the first born people, Cain and Abel. How many of y'all know that spirit of Cain is still alive in the world today? It denigrates to this place of absolute chaos and destruction, all the way to the point where God decides to send a flood, a flood he promises would never come again, but he finds this family, Noah's family, puts them on this ark, new heaven, new earth, they get off the ark, they begin to populate the earth, and they go right back to doing what they shouldn't be doing. Here we see the Tower of Babel. I love this because the Tower of Babel is the picture of how the world does things. God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. You know what God said? Fill out. Did you know nations are God's idea? Anytime you hear any one world garbage, it's not good. That's Tower of Babel. One world. What happens? Men come together in their own knowledge, in their, in their own strength and faith for me, myself, and I. They center themselves and they say, let us build a tower to heaven where we can be God. Let us create a metaverse where we can transcend our biological sex. Let us defy everything God set up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. This is the way of people. This is fascinating. Why do I say that? Because in this picture of Babel, in the same historical area, God calls to a man named Abraham. He says, leave all of that. Leave Ur. You guys have been through one light towns? It was a two-letter two, two town. Come on. Leave all that behind. All that self-worship, that idol worship. Go to a land I will call you, for I will make you a great nation. The promise to Abraham is the promise you and I have in Christ, that through him, through his seed, all of the nations will be blessed. It's crazy. You have like light and dark, Right here, good and evil, Tower of Babel, man at the center of everything, and God saying, no, my vision for your life and for your purpose and for humanity is what actually takes you to the promised land. You see, in this picture, we see Joseph. He's the hinge that connects Genesis, the book of beginnings, and Exodus, the book of redemption, much like Jesus is the hinge between the old and the new covenants. You know, we started something several weeks back in our Thursday service, for those of you who have been participating in that, uh, where we actually started leaning into Scripture, teaching a little bit longer. You know, sometimes we can open up the book, the Bible, and we can become familiar with it. So I'm going to try something new today. I know it's a little crazy. Don't worry. Okay, I'm going to read our passage each week. I'm going to do this every single week for the next seven weeks. And what I'm going to ask you to do is actually stand so as to honor God's word. Would you do that? Would you go ahead and stand? There's something about being on our feet that says, you know what, God, I want to 
I want to pay extra close attention. Those chairs are really comfortable. I'm going to get up out of them, and I'm going to lean in to what you might want to say. Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 11. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended the sheep with his brothers. A young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about his brothers to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. When his brothers saw that, their father loved him more than all his brothers. They hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheave rose up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaves. What every older brother loves to hear from the youngest. Are you really going to reign over us, his brothers asked. Are you really going to rule us? And so they hated him even more because of his dream. It wasn't just because he was a little arrogant, but it was actually because of the dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told his brothers, look, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you have had? He said, are your mother and brothers and I going to come and bow down to the ground before you? Two reactions. His brothers were even more jealous of him, but look what it says of his father. His father, like Mary, like Joseph in the city of Bethlehem, he, they, they kept this matter in his mind. You may be seated. If Exodus tells us how God delivered his people from Egypt, Joseph's story tells us how they got there to begin with. Here is how Joseph's story begins. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man, 17, tending flocks with his brothers. What do we know so far about Joseph? He's a teenager, and we know that he's working in his family business, and we know that other than this dream, he doesn't have a clue about his future. As the story begins, Joseph only has a, a dream, but there's something special about this dream that God gave him that would connect to the rest of his life. Although God had been preparing the way for Joseph long before he was born, it took quite a while for him to discover this calling himself. Joseph stands before us as a man whose life was filled with trouble. It started early in his life and never really stopped. But here's Joseph's secret. He had supreme confidence in God. Did you know that's the secret for you and me? When the world's going to hell in a handbasket, when it's tempted to curse the darkness, we have to remember, where does our hope come from? The Word is our foundation. It is the story from Genesis 1 to Revelation 28 of Jesus, of the gospel. He's a link, Joseph, in the chain of God's plan. He became a link to preserve the people of Israel so that they would become a nation. Joseph saved his own family so Christ would be able to be the Savior of the world. It's connected. It's tempting to look at the Bible as all of these disconnected stories. And here's what happens when you do that. You're going to be deceived. There are lots of people, they say love, but they don't mean biblical love. You know why? Because they haven't read the whole Bible. Love isn't a verse, it's the whole book. And it's not just the book. The Bible says it's a person who is the book made flesh, John 1.1. 1, 1. When you disconnect Scripture, when you don't see how it all fits together, the danger is, just like the children of Israel at the bottom of the mountain, the danger is to take all the little pieces you know and to fashion for yourself a calf, a false idol to worship. 
the whole Bible is the gospel. It's very, very, very important. And Joseph teaches us so much. I want to cover just a few things that we're going to learn. And then I'm going to talk about four observations that are going to really guide the next several weeks as we move through his story in the summer. It's like I'm reading the story and there are four things that kept anchoring in every epic or in every chapter of his story. So many lessons Joseph teaches us. Here's just a few we're going to learn. We're going to learn about trusting God when we're in a pit of despair. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a hopeless, dark situation. By the way, if you haven't, you're probably just young. Don't worry, you're going to one day. And I'm going to teach you through the word how to walk through it. What about how to deal with sexual temptation? This was a big theme in Joseph's life. It could have taken him out, but it didn't. It set him up. How do you redeem a painful past? How in the world could God possibly use the tough stuff to make you tough and to take you into your destiny? What about this? What do you do while you wait? We see the story of Joseph, mountaintop moments, prison experiences. Most of his life was in the middle. It's in the middle that you succeed or fail as a Christ follower. How do you see God's will in all things, even the hurt, even the pain, even the sinful things? How do you make wise plans? How could God possibly awaken a guilty conscience? Those brothers, the marks of true repentance, what's that really look like? How do you live for God in a pagan culture? There's nothing more pagan than the culture Joseph finds himself in. How do you overcome bitterness? And ultimately, how do you die well? How do you finish your race strong? That's a big, big deal. Walking with God, following God is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And that's good news because there'll be times where we won't measure up, where we won't always do or say the right thing. But if we don't quit the Bible promises, if our object is the person of Christ, we don't quit, we can't lose. Above all else, the story of Joseph points to Christ. What starts in the fields near an ancient area called Hebron leads to the fields near Bethlehem. Joseph of the Old Testament will lead to a Joseph's son in the New Testament. You've got to make that connection. As I was going through his story, there were four things that just stuck out to me. And I want to encourage you. Like, we're going to go do all of our stuff. I'm going to try to get you out early. I always say that. I said that last service, and I ended up taking four minutes. But, but I really do think before we just jump in, jump in to all of the things we have planned, that we just take a moment to just think about one of these things. Just pick one, but I'll give you four so you have some choices. The first one is Joseph is a picture or a type of Christ. Loved by his father, hated and betrayed by his brothers, sold for pieces of silver, falsely accused, judged guilty of a crime he didn't commit. Does it sound familiar? Abandoned. Joseph was thrown into a pit. Christ was in the ground for three days. Joseph, the brother in the pit, would eventually become the savior of the whole family. Jesus in the ground would eventually rise. And those that follow him would rise with him. So many pictures. There's no other person in all of Scripture that doesn't scream, there's a Messiah coming. Be ready for him. The great theologian W.H. Griffith Thomas said this about Joseph. It is impossible to avoid seeing the close, prolonged, and striking similarities between Joseph and Christ. As a matter of fact, there are 60 direct parallels between the person of Joseph and the person of Christ. When we study the life of Joseph, we see a glimpse of the one who will be born centuries later 
in an obscure village in Judea. Joseph is a type of Christ. As we learn more about him, we see his responses in adversity. We see lessons from his life. Remember, those are the same lessons that we see in Christ. Next, Joseph didn't know how his story would unfold. You and I, we have the the benefit of historical hindsight. We can see in a matter of chapters, from this chapter to this chapter, how his story would unfold. But all Joseph had was a dream. The Bible said when you and I are born again, the deposit of the Holy Spirit is put into our heart. That we're each given a measure of faith. You can sense that measure, that dream, that destiny, but have no idea how it's going to work out. He didn't know how his story would ultimately pan out. How much did he know about his future when he was thrown into a pit? Not much. He knew he had a dream about his ultimate future, but he had no idea, or even if it would come to pass. In many ways, his life is also a parallel for us as believers today. We have a picture, a promise, the already but the not yet. We don't know exactly how our world will end. But between now and then, there are a lot of unknowns. How much Joseph, how much did he know when he was rising in Potiphar's house? How much did he know when he was falsely accused of rape? By the way, that's where the Me Too movement started. Come on. Everything in this earth, everything we see, we think it's so new because we're modern people and we have a cell phone. But if we look in the pages of Scripture, everything that's rearing its ugly head, the demonic forces all throughout our world, they are in the pages of Scripture. We can see them. We can identify them. And we can put our faith and trust in the one who ultimately defeats all of them. It's so important. He didn't know how his story would unfold. Next, we see that Joseph's story is our story. You know, I gave my life to Christ 27 years ago. And it's interesting because when I gave my life to Christ, I didn't know hardly anything but that I needed Jesus bad. And I didn't know a lot about him. I was discovering him. I was learning about him. And I, but I, I did see something, a pattern in the life of a believer. And I hope this is your pattern too. If it's not, you're, you may not be a believer. You need to be honest about that. But every believer, you're honestly following Christ. You're learning his word. You're allowing it to change your mind. You're allowing it to change your life. What happens is God brings you to these places Let's call them crossroads, where you can pick to continue to be faithful, to continue to grow in your faith. And you know what? You can just put the book down and live your life right where it is. Your life also never stays the same. It always is moving towards God or away from God. There is no neutral in following God. The moment you put down this book and stop allowing it to transform your life, you start going backwards. That's the problem in our world today. We used to know this book. The moral law used to be in classrooms all across the country. The founders quoted Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Bible. More than any other, any other. You see, they had an understanding, a closeness with God's word. But the moment we start to put it down, here's what happens. Distortion comes in, then deception. And we move further and further away from God. That can happen in our own life. How does it happen? When we get to the crossroads and we don't continue to follow God. I I got to a crossroads. I had a crossroads with my friends. I realized when I gave my life to Christ, I couldn't have best friends like that anymore. I could still love them. But you know what? They couldn't be the major source of my life. Why? Because, man, they were going to hell and loved it. Come on. They were different. Their values were different. It was a whole different thing. I had to to come to a crossroads where I had to say, you know, I got to get around some people who love God. This is a big problem with a lot of believers who are getting so deceived by all the garbage going on in the world. They don't have any Christian friends. They have more secular friends than they have believers. This is the power of the church, community. Get around people who know God, who hold you accountable to what his word says, who walk alongside you in difficult moments where everyone else walks away, right? 
I came to Crossroads. And I talk to young people about this all the time. Our students are going to camp. And I tell young people all the time, listen, be careful who you hang out with. You can't control who you fall in love with. Guess what? You always hang out at the bar. That's where your future is going to come from. You might want to get around some people who love God, right? Start thinking about that stuff. You have to make decisions. You have to make decisions. Is that, is that pretty girl or that, that, that six-pack ab guy, is he just saying yes to Jesus and yes to church because he likes you? Good luck with that. You come to a crossroads where you have to draw lines in the sand. You have to say, you know what? For me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. You come to a crossroads with your kids and your family. Are you going to allow the world to influence you more than God's word? Joseph has these all over his life. Nobody's immune to them. And you know what? They can either be setbacks or they can be setups, depending on how you choose. Think about some of these in Joseph's life. He chose to believe God. He had a dream, but he was in a pit. He chose, you know, I gotta believe God. I know God gave me that dream. He gave it twice in the, in the presence of two witnesses. Two witnesses. 17 something years later, God would give Pharaoh a dream, not just one, but two. He chose to make the most of hardship. He didn't complain. He was actually a slave, like the ugly stuff in our country's past, the stuff we abolished in 1860s where one person owned another. He was literally owned by someone else. Can I just tell you, there's a difference being an actual slave and being a descendant of a slave. There's a difference. He had lots of reasons. He had lots of reasons to be frustrated. This hardship was not fair. It was absolutely unjust. And yet, he trusted God. He chose to fear God. This is a big one. Potiphar's making love eyes at him. He's a slave, all the excuses in the world to get his, get what he deserves. Surely people would understand, but he knew he would stand before God one day and he would give an account. Joseph had a fear of God. He said, I could not do this against God. We're gonna learn about that. He chose hope. Two years in prison. He thought he got his ticket out of there. Brother forgot about him for two years. He chose hope. He's still sitting there thinking it could be, it could be tomorrow it's a picture of our hope waiting for Christ. He could come any moment. I sure hope he finds us ready. He's certainly going to find me ready. Next, he chose to forgive. He didn't forget. He tested his brothers. We're going to talk about how to test people in your life. Forgiveness is personal. Reconciliation is relational. We're going to talk about trust and how to put people through a series of tests to make sure that they've changed. Next, he chose to see the big. Everyone say big. He chose to see the big picture. You see, there's something bigger God does in each of us individually than we can possibly see in the moment. If you're in here and you followed Christ for more than five minutes, or, you know, life has caused you to go bald or gray, you can look back on your life and you can see there was a bigger purpose to that suffering. There was a bigger reason for why I went through that. There's more than you can see. Our perspective's limited, but when we dedicate, commit our life to following Christ like Joseph, to following the God of the Bible like Joseph. We trust in his perspective. We trust that he works it out and fits it exactly where it needs to be. The final thing as we close, and we're one and a half minutes, I didn't get you out early. God is the hero of the story. This is big. If you get nothing else, read your Bible different. These are not heroes. These are fallen sinful, struggling people. This side of heaven, you don't get the sunshine without the rain. 
this side of heaven, right? We see a picture as if through, through a dirty glass, the New Testament says, of a hope on the other side. These people that we read about in Scripture, specifically Joseph, but every one of them, they didn't know exactly how everything would pan out. They were not perfect people. They were flawed. But the thing that connected all of them is they kept their faith in the one who was worthy of it, the one who sees everything. God is the hero of the story. It's not about, God, are you on my side? Here's what you're going to learn. Joseph never asked that question. I don't think he, I think he might have thought it, felt it, but he pushed it aside. He always said, am I on God's side? That's the question we're going to learn to live. And as we close, I'm going to go back to the hall of faith. Next week, a hero arises out of the pit of this dysfunctional family. His brothers don't like him, plot to kill him. There's trouble on the horizon, but I want to close with this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have such a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, those people in the Bible that decided, I'm with God at the crossroads. The people in the Bible who didn't know exactly how their story would end, but they put their faith on the one who wrote it. Because we have them surrounding us, their stories, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run. Everyone say run. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. There's never going to be another Joseph. There's never going to be another David. There's never going to be another Abraham, but there's also never going to be another you. It's not about someone else's race. Their race is done. I hear people all the time say, oh, we just need another courageous. No, you don't. Every one of us are here just as God willed it. And just like Esther in the Old Testament, we are here for such a time as this. There is no darkness happening outside that God has not uniquely positioned us to shine light into, period. We are enough with Christ, in Christ. So let us run with endurance the race, our race, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy laid before him, he endured the cross. He scorned, disguised its shame, but sat down ultimately at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in the lives of your people. I thank you, God, for their stories, the incredible story of Joseph, the detail that through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit were put into words that your people thousands of years later could learn from, for his story really is our story. It's a story of dying to ourselves, of putting you first, God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us by your Holy Spirit. That, God, there'd be something that would come alive in us, that would teach us, train us in what you might have for us to do. Father, I also pray for anybody in here that doesn't know you. I pray, Father, that they would not leave this place the same way that they came. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I want to stay in an attitude of prayer. This is something that we've done since the beginning of our church in every service at every location where we create a, a place, a space for people who are far from God to draw near to him. Maybe you're in here and you're far from God. I don't know your story. I'm not gonna ask you an embarrassing question. I'm not gonna make you stand up or come forward. You know if you're playing with God or not. And ultimately, you're not gonna stand before me anyways. You're gonna stand before him. But if you're in here and you're saying, pastor, I'm far from God. Maybe at one point you followed him, but you're not today. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ, but you'd like to today. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I just wanna pray for you. If you're in here and you say, pastor, I'm far from God. I don't wanna be. Would you just put your hand up halfway and put it back down? Is there anybody in here that you say that's me? 
I see you. You can put it up, put it back down. I see you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus says that if you'll acknowledge him before men, he'll acknowledge you before the Father. But if you don't, he won't. You got to understand, God's not a bully. He's going to shove you. But he is going to pull. If you feel that pull today and you want to get your life right, put your hand up. Is there anyone else before we change the order of the service? You say, that's me. Pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. In a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right where you're sitting. As a matter of fact, the people surrounding you who love God, you're probably going to get to know them over the next several days, weeks, months, and years. They believe in what you're doing. They love God. They're going to say this prayer as well. And it's important you know this. There's not power in the prayer. There's power in the decision. If you were really serious, you raise your hand, you really meant it. I'm going to lead you into a prayer. It's an act of free will, giving God permission to come into your life, accepting what Jesus did for you on the cross, paying for your sin, placing your faith and your hope in the power of the resurrection. Something's going to happen on the other side of this decision. It's not a parking place. It's an on-ramp. If you really meant it, I want you to pray this prayer just loud enough where you can hear your own voice. Don't worry, we're, we're going to pray with you so as to encourage your faith. We're also going to give you some next steps. You cannot do it alone. You're going to need people to come alongside you. I want to encourage you, if you really mean it, pray this prayer, but also take the step. Get connected. Take the instruction. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's pray this prayer all together. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are good and I believe you're God. I believe on the third day after you were killed on the cross, I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you defeated death once and for all to give me life once and for all. And today, of my own free will, I choose life. I choose to make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. It's in your name that I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, church. Let's give it up for everybody who did that.